listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 22 to 36. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know. This man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks for that reading, Jim. <clears throat> so the scripture we just heard is not a normal Easter Sunday passage. On Easter Sunday, we usually read one of the Bible stories about the resurrection of Jesus. And scripture gives us a lot of famous options to choose from. Um, there's the one about the empty tomb with the stone rolled away. Mary Magdalene and the other female disciples of Jesus bringing spices and running into an angel. There's that story about the two travelers on the road to Emmaus who run into Jesus and don't recognize him at first. There's also that one where Peter and John race to the tomb to see if it's, is it really true? Is the grave really empty? The Bible gives us a lot of different Easter texts to choose from, but the text that Jim just read for us is not one of them. The text we just heard is Peter's sermon about the resurrection from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 to be specific. 
This is a Pentecost text. A text that's usually associated with the Holy Spirit and that moment at the festival of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down upon those first disciples and little tongues of fire appeared over their heads. But Pentecost doesn't happen for another 50 days. So why are we reading a Pentecost text on Easter? Well, this is actually the first resurrection sermon we find in the Bible. Jesus comes back from the dead. The tomb is empty. He appears to Mary Magdalene. She goes off and tells the good news to the disciples. Jesus appears to a few hundred other people. He hangs out for about 40 days, and then he ascends to heaven. And then it's 10 days later at the festival of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit comes down. Peter preaches this sermon about the resurrection, which is the first real Easter sermon. If you grew up in church, you probably heard a lot of Easter sermons. I'm 35 years old, so I've heard this message at least 35 times. Even more if you count like youth conferences and revival meetings and like churches that just kind of preach the resurrection every week. I'm guessing a lot of us have probably heard this message before. Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth. He lived a human life. He died on the cross in our place, but then he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, giving us the hope of one day being resurrected ourselves and spending eternity with him if we only believe. That's the gospel. It's the greatest story ever told. But at the risk of sounding sacrilegious on Easter, I think the way we tell this story, I think the way we talk about the resurrection has gotten a little formulaic. There is a danger in a lot of our preaching about the resurrection of reducing Easter Sunday to this thing we just believe in in order to be saved. It's like Jesus' resurrection becomes this box that you check so that you're in. Believe this, sign on the dotted line, and you're good. You're covered. You're saved. When you die, you get to go to the good place instead of the bad place. That's awesome. That's fantastic news, but... I'm not really planning to die anytime soon. I mean, you never know what could happen, but I'm hoping to have a good another 40 or 50 years on this giant blue rock of ours. What good news does the resurrection have for me in the meantime? A lot of folks come to church on Easter Sunday. It's uh, pretty much our biggest Sunday of the year. In fact, a lot of people come to church on Easter or they watch a service like this online, and then they don't come back to church again until the following Easter. And honestly, I can't say that I blame them. I'm around church people a lot, and I hear the same thing every year. It's this, this lament, oh, the church was so full on Easter Sunday. I wish we had all those people every week of the year. But why would folks come back if they've already heard that message? They've checked the box. They've heard the story. They believe the thing. Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. If that's all we're preaching, if the resurrection is just a miracle you believe in to go to heaven, why would you give up your Sunday mornings for that? Throughout this season of Lent for the last six weeks, we've been talking about different spiritual disciplines, different practices that have guided the church for centuries. We've talked about things like prayer, 
Bible study, rest, solitude, community. We've practiced these things together virtually. We've fasted, we've meditated, we've prayed. And it just seems a little inappropriate after six weeks of talking about practices to preach another run-of-the-mill Easter sermon that presents the resurrection as a box in our heads that we check. But what if we could practice the resurrection? What if resurrection, instead of just being a thing that we believe in, could actually be a way of life, something that we practice every day? What if the empty tomb is more than just a miracle we affirm, but a new reality that can actually transform our lives right here in the present? What if God has more in store for us? What if God has more planned for us? What if God desires more for us than just going to heaven when we die? I don't know about you, but to me, that would be really good news. So let's talk about practicing resurrection, and we're going to use this text from Acts as our jumping off point, because Peter's sermon here is not your run-of-the-mill Easter sermon. This is not your typical believe in the resurrection and you're good type sermon. Immediately after this sermon, the first question that the crowd asks in response to Peter's message is, what should we do? This good news about the resurrection provokes a response in them. It triggers action. It's a call to transformation. And that transformation is happening on at least three different levels in this text. There's a personal transformation, a communal transformation, and a missional transformation. Let's start with the personal. This sermon is being preached by Peter. This first resurrection sermon, this bold, convicting, compelling message is coming from Peter. Have you guys heard of Peter? Like, are you familiar with Peter? He's kind of an idiot, right? Like, Peter's the type of person who leaps before he looks. He will run off at the mouth. He talks a good game, but then he totally blows it when it really counts. This is the guy who at the Last Supper pledged to defend Jesus with his life, and then a few hours later denied three times that he even knew him. That was only like a month and a half ago. That did not happen very long before this passage. What happened to Peter? Like, when did this wishy-washy fisherman become so bold? Where did this ability to take a stand come from? How did Peter become the rock on which Christ would build his church. The resurrection is what happened to Peter. Peter encountered the risen Christ, and he was made new. The resurrection touched him. It transformed him. The Holy Spirit came down upon him, and Peter became a new creation. That's the personal transformation that can happen when we practice resurrection. After Peter's sermon is over and the crowd is like, what should we do? The, the response, the first thing they do, the first step is they all get baptized. They get a fresh start. They've seen the resurrected Christ. They've witnessed this transformation in Peter, and they want some of that too. So they enter into the waters of baptism, 
and they are made new. Who among us wouldn't like a fresh start? Who among us wouldn't like a do-over, to be washed, to be cleansed, and made new? See, the resurrection means that there are no lost causes. No one is beyond the scope of God's grace. There is no sin, no mistake, no character flaw that can't be overcome, that can't be healed and made new. You really can go home again. Practicing resurrection begins with personal transformation. When we lay all that we are at the foot of the the empty tomb and invite Christ to make us into something new. I heard an interview the other day uh, with a man who was convicted of murder like 20 years ago. He was young when it happened. It was gang-related, an altercation with a, a rival gang member. By the end of it, the guy on the other end of his gun was dead. And this man has now spent 20 years, the bulk of his adulthood, behind bars. But he also became a Christian in that time. And one of the things he does now, one of his roles in prison, is he volunteers as a chaplain, walking alongside his fellow prisoners when they're sick, helping to encourage them, nurse them back to health. He cares for elderly prisoners on their deathbeds. He listens to them. He gives them mercy. He's often with them, holding their hands as they pass from this life to the next. This is someone who was convicted of murder 20 years ago, and now he's devoted his life to this. No one is beyond grace. No one is beyond redemption. There is no darkness, no mistake, no ugliness in our lives that God cannot redeem and make new through the practice of resurrection. That's personal transformation. But let's talk about communal transformation and where we see that happening in this passage. Pentecost isn't a very big holiday for us. It's something a lot of, I'd say most Christians aren't really that aware of, but it was a big deal in ancient Judea. This brought together Jews from all corners of the world. You've got people in this crowd from different countries, different cultures, speaking different languages. They have different values, different politics. And yet all those boundaries disappear. They are stripped away through the power of the resurrection. This is why we do the stuff we do at this church. This is why we welcome everyone, no matter where they're coming from, no matter what their baggage, no matter where they're at personally. This is why we practice radical hospitality. We are all about overcoming the boundaries that divide us. This is why we speak out on matters of justice. This is why we talk about structural evils, corporate sin. This is why we take seriously the cries of the people at the margins because the barrier between us and them is no longer there. By the end of Acts chapter 2, right after this passage, we read this about the early church, these first followers of Jesus. Here's what we're told. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day, 
the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. These first followers of Jesus practiced the resurrection by worshiping together, breaking bread together, having meals together, selling all they had and pooling their resources so that nobody went without. These were people from different cultures, different places, different languages, and yet they had all things in common. That is communal transformation. And it's what we're about at this church. So we see personal transformation in this passage. We see communal transformation, but we also see missional transformation. Full disclosure, missional is a made-up word. Like, it's not a real word. It's just the word mission with an ol at the end, like personal, communal, missional, missional. But these first believers received a new mission. They received a change in the orientation of their lives, and it centers on the resurrection. These people hear the good news. They receive the Holy Spirit. They hear Peter's preaching about the resurrection. They believe. They get baptized. They get a fresh start. But then they are commissioned. They go back to their homes. They return to their homelands, and they take up the work of resurrection. See, the raising of Jesus from the dead wasn't a magic trick. It wasn't just a way for God to, like, demonstrate God's power or, or do a favor for one guy who got unlucky and ended up on a cross. No, the resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of an entirely new creation. God is making all things new, and the empty tomb is just a taste. God is making all things new through Christ, and we are invited to participate. That's the gospel. You want a one-sentence description of the gospel? You want like an elevator pitch version of why the resurrection matters and what it means for us? God is making all things new through Christ, and we are invited to participate. The gospel isn't a life insurance policy. It's not a get into heaven free card. The gospel is a commissioning. We are commissioned, every single one of us, to be part of the new creation that God is bringing about through Christ, to join in that work, to participate, and to be transformed ourselves through the process. Where do you see God at work in the world, and how can you join in? What are the dark places, the shadow places of our community, the places without hope? And how is God calling you to enter into those places and bring about new life? Who are the hurting people, the broken people in our midst who need a glimpse of God's love? And how can you be that glimpse for them? The empty tomb reveals to us that God is doing something new. This is the resurrection. God is making something new. Death is not the end. There are no lost causes. The arc of history really does bend toward justice. Resurrection isn't something that we're waiting for. It's not something we believe in our heads and then set aside until next Easter. Resurrection is something that is real, it is embodied, and it's something that we are called to participate in right here and right now. 
May you receive the good news of Easter Sunday. May you receive the hope of the empty tomb. And may the reality of resurrection become a practice that transforms us, renews us, and compels us to join in the work that God is doing in Brockport and beyond. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.